Sometimes when you go digging around in your family history, you discover things that can be informative. It can be that way even with the faith group that you identify with. Take, for instance, the Quakers and the Declaration of American Independence. Now, I'm going to begin this message, I should say, with some a history of Quakers in this area, that is the Greensboro High Point area, particularly the Greensboro area and the New Garden area. And I want to give credit where credit is due. A lot of this history was compiled by a park volunteer, Elena Wiener. So thank you for uh, her hard work and thank you for compiling this. About the Declaration of American Independence, Quakers at that time opposed such activities as the Declaration of American Independence, which then led to the Revolutionary War, in large part because they believed that governments, quote, were divinely instituted and that they should only rebel should the government disobey the laws of God. Now, for other Quakers, let's be clear, the issue was also about violence and war, and many Quakers at that time adhered to the peace testimony of no war or violence of any kind. Also, there was an economic issue, creating a fuss with the British, such as asserting independence, and a war would certainly disrupt economic trade, and there were some Quakers that were doing quite well in moving products and trade back and forth between Britain. But for all of those reasons, particularly the reasons about not rebelling against uh, government, um, and particularly the reasons of war and the peace testimony, Quakers did not, for the most part, participate in the Declaration of American Independence. Now, in 1695, a Quaker named John Archdale had been governor of North Carolina, and in fact, the town of Archdale is named after him. That's where I live, actually, and that's where this video is being made. John Archdale passed an act that exempted his fellow Quakers from participating in the local militia. However, the Quakers faced extra taxes for these exemptions, which were then paid to the Crown of England. Now, despite these additional taxes, the Quakers stood by their pacifist beliefs when the revolution began, since violent tactics were used from the very beginning of the revolution, and again, they chose to bear witness against violent tactics and chose to bear witness in the name of peace. In 1778, the Continental Congress then passed the Affirmation of Allegiance, which basically required Americans to pledge their allegiance to the state where they lived. Now, at that time, New Garden friends refused, saying they could not, quote, do that, consistent with their principles and comply with the act of assembly. Basically, since the affirmation contradicted their belief of pacifism and nonviolence, they could not comply with that affirmation of allegiance. Now, to be sure, there were some Quakers who took the oath of allegiance, or they assisted with arms and, quote, appeared in a warlike manner. In fact, history shows that Seven members of the New Garden community were disowned between 1771 and 1780 for their involvement. Now, being disowned from a religious community much more, meant much more than being able to, unable to attend meeting for worship. The disowned members were literally forced to seek a new community. They were disassociated from the Friends and the Quakers and the way of life. Now, if the member renounced the oath of allegiance and came back to the Quakers, they were welcomed back to the meeting and to the meeting community and the meeting life. Ultimately, despite the Quakers' desire for neutrality, they were still affected by the war. Soldiers and robbers pillaged civilian homes, they stole livestock, they stole crops, and many Quakers and families in this area 
and the New Garden area were affected by the war with their livestock, their crops being stolen, as well as their homes being destroyed. Now, in 1778, the British launched what was called the Southern Campaign. Now, this was an attempt to gather support from the supposed loyalist population in the southern states. This resulted in what we now know as the Battle of Guilford Courthouse in March of 1781. And after this battle, there were hundreds of wounded American and British soldiers. British General Charles Cornwallis, who used actually the present Deep River Friends grounds to camp on the way to the battle, left many of his wounded, uh, between about 64 and 134 wounded men, he left them at the New Garden community under the care of Quakers. Now, General Green, himself a Quaker, learned of the Quakers' generosity and was in great need of assistance caring for his own wounded militia and Continental soldiers. So because of that, General Green wrote a letter to the Quakers requesting that they provide, quote, relief of the suffering wounded at the Guilford Courthouse. Now, the New Garden meeting responded that they would, quote, do all that lies in their power, end quote, to assist the wounded despite the recent theft of resources by both the British and American soldiers of their livestock, of their crops, of all of that they owned, and even their homes. Now, ultimately, the Quaker belief that every human person contained the inner light of God and is created in the image of God allowed these Quakers to put aside any grievances and help those in need. See, for them, every person is and was a child of God, and no one, absolutely no one, was their enemy. Because of their faith and action, the New Garden Friends cared for 250 wounded British and American soldiers in that meeting house and in individual homes. And their actions brought personal sacrifice. For example, some soldiers were infected with smallpox, which spread to two of the Quakers that were providing compassion and care. One of them died while the other survived Nathan Hunt. And after attempting to mend and assist the wounded, the Quakers buried both the British and the American soldiers who did not survive at New Garden. Now, I share this history for its descriptive value. Now, whether it is prescriptive is really up to you. Again, I share it for its descriptive value. Whether it is prescriptive, that really is up to you. History can be helpful in that it gives us a narrative we can learn from and reflect upon. It's limited in the sense that we're not actually there at the moment, so we glean from it what we can. We learn lessons from it that we can. And as I read and pondered this history, this very, very short history of Quakers in this area connected with uh, the War of American Independence, this is what I gleaned. First, in a time in history when folks were being pressed to declare their allegiances, these Quakers had already, in their heart, made that decision. It was a decision that was done for them. The deal had already been made. Their ultimate allegiance was to the kingdom of God and the way of love and the way of peace. Declaring allegiance, as we all know, is a very, very personal thing and should not be entered into lightly. And early Quakers declared that their allegiance ultimately went to the kingdom of God, and they were willing, as it shows, to pay whatever price that came with that allegiance. Second, they chose to live as best as they could without enemies. As we heard, they were willing to help a British soldier as well as an American soldier. Now, maybe the ultimate freedom, the ultimate freedom is simply that to live our lives without harboring any kind of enemies within our heart. We're invited and even encouraged almost every day to find an enemy or a scapegoat or someone to blame. 
And you know, this is what often leads to the deep polarization and division within our own culture and within our own society. We have to find that enemy. Enemy making is a big deal. Enemy making is a big industry because we have to find someone to blame. But what, what if we exerted our freedom to have no enemies? To see everyone as created in the image of God and as a child of God. How does it change our perspective to intentionally see everyone we meet as created in God's image and valued by God? Maybe, just maybe, the greater revolution is the one within our hearts that turns our hearts into places of hospitality and peacemaking rather than places of exclusion and enemy-making. Let me say that again. Maybe the greater revolution is the one that can take place within our hearts, that turns our hearts into places of hospitality and peacemaking rather than places of exclusion and enemy-making and scapegoating. Third, what I gleaned from these early Quakers was the challenge of being willing to hold to one's ideals and principles even when it went against the grain of popular sentiment. The position early Quakers took was not very welcomed. It was not easily understood. Many of them, as I shared, lost their homes. They lost their livestock. They lost their crops, as well as friendship circles and business opportunities due to their commitments to their principles. But for them, again, this underscores the higher allegiance was always to the way of Jesus and to the kingdom of God. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that they did not worry about being understood or misunderstood because that really was not their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal was faithfulness to the kingdom of God, and they were willing to accept whatever came their way, all based on their principles. And finally, early Quakers certainly did not stand on the sidelines by no means. Rather, they engaged in a revolution of love and generosity. Their actions were so real that both the British and the Americans took note of their actions and asked them to care for their wounded. These early Quakers were, shall we say, outspoken, but they were outspoken in actions of love, kindness, and generosity. They let their lives speak. And I'm going to make a huge assumption here, but my guess is they would not have been the type to rant on social media or post a meme that creates division or fuels cynicism that's often corrosive to the human spirit. Their actions indicate they had higher intentions and aims, and their higher intention and, and aim was to offer relief, love, healing, and peacemaking, and be that kind of presence in a world and in a time that was caught up in violence, strife, and a demand for allegiance. In a world that was fighting for freedom, early Quakers had already experienced the ultimate freedom, that of freedom in their hearts to love their enemies and live in faithfulness to God's kingdom regardless of the cost. We can have all the external freedoms afforded to us, but if we are still imprisoned by our hate, if we are still imprisoned by our enemy-making, if we are still imprisoned by our scapegoating, we really are not that free. Which brings us for a moment to Paul's words in his letter to the Galatians. Quote, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. And all the law has been fulfilled in a single statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But, Paul writes, if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. 
Now, to take Paul's words at face value, we can simply put it this way. I can either use my freedom to fulfill my own selfish impulses, or I can steward my freedom to practice loving my neighbor. And our neighbor. Our neighbor isn't just the person that lives on our lane or the one that lives on our cul-de-sac. Our neighbor is anyone that occupies the same world that we do, since our action, actions can certainly affect others that live beside us, near us, or other folks around the world, either directly or indirectly. In a sense, the whole world is our neighbor. Anyone we meet at any time of the day is our neighbor. And for Paul, his context was different from that, of course, of the early Quakers or even our context today. His freedom had more to do with living freely in God's grace rather than feeling bound by external religious regulations and laws around dietary issues and circumcision. But maybe we can simply listen to this beautiful simplicity of his words and invite the Spirit to direct us towards what it might look like in our lives. Hear Paul's words again. Quote, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. Or, as the paraphrase the message puts it, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Now, since we're talking about early friends, Quakers, and how their actions and their spirituality um, can influence us, let's also take a practice from Quakers and consider just a couple queries. First one is this. What would it look like for me, for you, to see our freedom as an opportunity to serve rather than as an entitlement to defend? Again, what would it look like for me to see my freedom as an opportunity to serve rather than an entitlement to defend? And second, how can I steward my freedom towards loving my neighbor? How can we steward our freedom towards a more interdependent society? Not an independent society, but a more interdependent society where we are loving our neighbor through all sorts of actions. And we do what we can to help make all of creation flourish. The great preacher and writer William Sloan Coffin wrote these words, Love is to make us more human. Love, he said or wrote, is to make us more human. And maybe that's the alternative kind of revolution our world needs, a revolution of recovering our humanity. As Paul wrote, love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other and where will your precious freedom be then? You know, in a world often filled with inhumane words, treatment, and inhumane intentions, recovering our humanity is a very worthy goal. And if those early Quakers from this area gave witness to anything, they gave witness to what it looks like to treat others as a human being in the hope of making us all more human. There's nothing more inhumane than war. There's nothing more inhumane than violence, regardless of the cause. So maybe what the early friends and early Quakers did is add just a bit, maybe not just a bit, but a lot of humanity to something that felt very inhumane. 
First Paul writes, if we don't do that, we may end up annihilating each other. And in today's society, we have much more technological and widespread ways to annihilate each other. Even with our words, we can annihilate with each other. And if we do, Paul then asks us, where will our precious freedom be then? If all we have is freedom to annihilate each other and devour each other, then we really have lost our freedom. So how can we love through our freedom? How can we steward our freedom? How can we steward our freedom to make our world more humane? Here is the morning prayer um, that I composed yesterday that I put on Twitter and Facebook. Loving God, our true freedom is found in your grace and your mercy. So free us from all that attaches us to greed, cynicism, mean-spiritedness, and pride. And may we live in the freeing energies of your love and mercy. And help us to love our neighbor in life-giving ways.